The kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. This is Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. The Gospel of Matthew chapter 13 says in part, Heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. So how does that apply to us as believers in Jesus? Today, David makes this parable come alive in the first part of his message, the parable of the two fish. So the next parable in Jesus' parables of the kingdom of heaven in Matthew 13 is the one we're about to look at. Uh, But before I look at it with you, let me remind you that a parable is an earthly story to give an eternal message. It's an earthly story to give us an eternal message. And whenever Jesus shared these parables, he would always choose an illustration of something that was going on in his disciples' surroundings. It'd be something with which they could immediately identify. Uh, For example, we started out in Matthew 13 looking at the parable of the sower and the soils, the kingdom of God's like that. And, And the meaning being that in that agrarian illustration that the disciples would readily remember, having seen seed throwers throwing out seed all the time, they would understand what Jesus was saying is there aren't four kinds of soils, there are four kinds of human hearts. And really there are only two. There are ones that receive the gospel of the kingdom of God and then bear fruit for him and there are those who don't. And then he chooses right after that to move into a second parable, another agrarian parable about the planting of seeds that produce wheat and tares in the kingdom of heaven. And he teaches very clearly that there are people who receive the gospel of the kingdom of God and are like wheat and bear fruit for him. There are others, though, that are like tares. They look like believers. They act like believers, but they never really bear fruit for God. And there are people in his kingdom, Jesus taught, through the ages that are faux Christians. They say they're Christians, but they're not really Christians. They never bear fruit for God. And that explains a lot of things like the Crusades and the pedophilia scandals in the Catholic Church, that there are people who say they're followers of Jesus, but they're not. Then the third illustration Jesus uses is the parable of the mustard seed, another agrarian illustration, a tiny seed planted that grows into a big tree, and birds from everywhere come and build their nests and their branches. It's symbolic of the birds from all over the world that come and build their trees in the kingdom of heaven that started out small, like a small mustard seed, but grows into this huge mammoth outreach that is today in every nation on the face of the earth. Started with 12 ragtag disciples who've spread the gospel of the kingdom of God all over the world. Okay, so here we go now with the next part of the illustrations that Jesus gives here. He moves from an agrarian illustration to a home illustration. And this is one where the disciples would think, oh, I can remember mom or sis or somebody in the home making bread. And the gospel of the kingdom of God, Jesus said, is like Leaven placed in a loaf of bread by a woman baking bread, and the bread grows and spreads as does the leaven, which biblically is always symbolic of evil. And the point being that as the kingdom grows, there's going to be resistance to those in the kingdom. There's going to be evil that constantly hampers you. There's the world, the flesh, and the devil that are at enmity against the kingdom of God. So that illustration as well would be one that the disciples went, oh yeah, home illustration. I remember mom, I remember sis baking bread. That's clearly something I can remember. Now in this parable, Jesus moves to another illustration, a fishing illustration. Now, a good number of Jesus' disciples were 
fishermen. So when Jesus shared this story, they'd go, ka-ching, get this one. I really, really understand what Jesus is teaching. I mean, it'd be like Jesus meeting with the Golden State Warriors and using a basketball illustration. It'd be like him meeting with Anne Hathaway and her troop of actors and actresses and using an acting illustration. Uh, it would be like Jesus meeting with Justin Bieber and his band and giving a music illustration. And some of you are amazed right now, I know who Justin Bieber is. But the truth is Jesus chose illustrations of that day to help his listeners and us understand what he was trying to say. So this is a fishing parable, a fishing illustration. Matthew chapter 13, verses 47 through 41, Jesus said, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. Now, note that word kind is genos in the Greek, G-E-N-O-S, which means ethnic group, tribal entity. Keep that in mind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes. So in this fishing parable, here's what Jesus was trying to say. Uh, a vast body of water equals the entire world. Then secondly, he moves from a vast body of water to a huge net. And in Jesus' day, fishermen would drop nets. It'd be like a huge wall that would try to catch the fish that would swim by. The huge net is equal to the gospel of the kingdom of God. That's what catches fish. As these disciples were asked by Jesus to be fishers of men, it's the gospel of the kingdom of God, which is equal to the net. Then thirdly, there's the catch, that this big net catches a lot of fish of all kinds. And using that as a fishers of men and women illustration, it means in this net are all kinds of people from all different ethnicities, from all different tribes, from all over the world. Now, this illustration would have been particularly poignant to Jesus' disciples who were fishermen because they understood fishing in great depth. In fact, in John, the 21st chapter, in one of Jesus' resurrection appearances, he appears to them after they've been fishing. And you see in the text that Jesus started talking to them after a long nights of unsuccessful fishing. The disciples most often fished in the middle of the night. They would do so in the cool of the evening. They would drop their nets all throughout the night and then catch the fish. And of course, in Jesus' story with them in John 21, they'd been fishing all night long unsuccessfully. So as early morning dawned, he cried out to them, have you caught anything? And they didn't know who he was at this point. They responded, no. And he said, well, throw the net on the other side of the boat. And you can only imagine, they thought, who are you on the shore to be telling us in the boat what we should do? But nevertheless, because they were frustrated, hadn't caught a thing, they threw the net on the other side of the boat and it became so full, they could hardly pull the number of fish into the boat. So when Jesus talks about the catch, the disciples knew as fishermen what it was like to have that great big 
huge catch. And then fourthly comes the separation. That's after the nets were full of fish, the fishermen would pull the nets ashore in the early morning hours and they would separate the good fish from the bad fish. Now remember, these fishermen were faithful Orthodox Jews. The question that's often asked here is what determined the good fish from the bad fish? And the answer is it's in accordance with the Levitical holiness laws, what was outlined in the book of Leviticus. Don't you miss the book of Leviticus? In Leviticus chapter 9, what determined a good fish from a bad fish is fish that had scales and fins from God's perspective were considered bad. They were to be thrown away. They were not to be eaten. Good fish were those that uh, didn't have fins and scales, and they could be eaten. So the disciples would separate fish according to that one standard in the book of Leviticus, which begs the question, why did God make the standard scales and fins? And the answer is, who knows? You know, God is God, and he can do whatever he wants to do, but he made that the standard. My guess is he chose it to be so that when they ate fish, and they were eating fish without scales and fins. They would remember they were called to be a wholly different kind of people. And in their diets, they were to eat in a way that reminded them incessantly they were a different, holy kind of people. Nevertheless, the separation would occur. And the bad ones were thrown away, but the good ones were placed into containers. And since it's an early morning hour, the fishermen would then rush the fish to the marketplace where they would be sold immediately to shoppers who wanted some fish to buy to feed their families for the rest of the day. So that's the story and what Jesus is talking about. The good edible fish sold, the bad, uh, bad ones are thrown away. Now, if you're looking at this parable closely and asking what's the kingdom emphasis, what is this parable really trying to teach us about the kingdom of heaven? It's found in verse 49. In Jesus' words, so it will be at the end of the age. Say that with me. So it will be at the end of the age. Now, Jesus is talking about the fact there's going to be a last day. And there's going to be a last day of judgment. That's his purpose primarily in this parable. Now, if you look at views of history, there are basically two views worldwide. In Eastern religions and Eastern places, there is a cyclical view of history. Basically, it means I live and I am rewarded according to my karma in reincarnation to a higher life form. And if I'm bad, I'm given punishment in my reincarnation in a lower life form. So that's why if you go to India today, a primarily Hindu nation, and there's someone suffering by the side of the road, kind, good Indian people will walk right by and not help at all. Their justification, that person's getting what they deserve. They're getting their karma. From a previous life experience, they were bad, so they're suffering accordingly. That, that's why they don't kill insects or cows or whatever. They're all a part of this cycle of reincarnation according to your karma that is their worldview of history. Now, now standing juxtaposed to that worldview is the Judeo-Christian biblical worldview. What does that mean? As the Bible has influenced an understanding of history, 
People believe that history's not cyclical, it's linear. And if it's linear, it has a beginning point. Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And in that moment, he began time. It's his creation. And biblically, time has a beginning point. It has creation. It has fall. It has the formation of a nation called Israel that had a covenant with God that they failed in. They did not obey God as God desired. They did not take his love to all the nations as he commanded. So God brought in a new entity called the church. And through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, people who have their sins forgiven are called together as a body. They are to live as a holy people different from the world, and they are to take the gospel as a light to the nations where the Jews fail, the church is supposed to succeed. And the New Testament is about Jesus forming his church, letters written to those churches, and then eventually in the book of Revelation, the fact that one day this Jesus who came initially in a stable in his first coming for the purpose of the forgiveness of people's sins. John 3, 17 says, Jesus did not come to judge the world in his first incarnation, but he came to die for the world and to love the world and to give it life. And so the gospel is to be proclaimed to every people on the face of the earth. But one day Jesus is returning in his second coming In his second coming, he's not coming to love people and forgive them of their sins. He's already done that. He's coming in his second coming to judge people who have refused his gospel and continue to live in their sins. And that second coming is called the end of the days, the end of ages. The prophets in the Old Testament called it the day of the Lord. It's a part of linear history that has a beginning and has an end. So that's Jesus' primary message here, is to talk about that day and what that day will be like. And he gives us two insights into that day. First of all, he gives us insights about angels. Angels. Magnificent creatures of God. A third of them fell with Satan and have become the demons. Let me remind you that God still has them outnumbered two to one with good angels to bad angels. But there are bad angels. But the good angels have two major purposes. First of all, they worship God. They love to be in his presence and cry out in Isaiah 6 language, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The second thing they love to do is do whatever God tells them to do to serve you and me who love Jesus. Hebrews 1.14 says that God created the angels to be ministering spirits to his elect. The elect are people who love Jesus. So that means that angels are God's army to be sent to people who love him to oversee, protect, and care for us. I can remember one time in Orlando, Florida, years ago, driving my car in the middle of a rainstorm. Bethany was a baby in the back seat. Marilyn was sitting next to me, and we hit a wet spot. The car swerved out of control, and literally, folks, I felt a hand go on the steering wheel and turn it away from an 18-wheeler that was whizzing a bias and missed us by several inches. I'm convinced to this day that that was an angel of the Lord. 
Marilyn and I won't leave our house on a trip without me praying for the angels of heaven to watch over our house. We, we won't drive any long distances without asking God to place angels all around our cars. On plane rides, when they start to get bumpy, ever been there? Let me tell you what I do. I start praying the angels of heaven to be on each wing of that airplane and to steady it because God said the angels of heaven are sent as ministering spirits to care for God's people. Let me give you one thought. In Isaiah chapter 57, verse 1, that verse says sometimes God takes the righteous home to spare them from evil. You know, I've lost my mom and dad over the last five to six years to both of them to terribly long, difficult illnesses. I am convinced they're in heaven. I'm convinced they have perfect resurrection bodies. And I'm convinced also, dear friends, that even if they could come back to this mess, to this squalor, to this disease, sin-infected world, they would not. But I'm sure what they are saying to the Lord is, can't wait for David to come home. Can't wait for him to come be with us. If you love Jesus and your loved ones love Jesus, you will see them again. You're listening to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Coming up, David joins me in a discussion about the negative effect that failure has, especially on followers of Jesus. We'll be right back. I'm Mark McManus with Moments of Hope Church's Ministry Minute, focusing on ministries that have a positive impact on our community. With me in the studio today is Tony Marciano, Executive Director of the Charlotte Rescue Mission. Tony, tell us about the Charlotte Rescue Mission. Mark, at the Charlotte Rescue Mission, everything we do is about transformation. With a focus on individuals struggling with addiction, we uniquely work from the inside out to address the root cause. And we accomplish that by providing professional, Christian residential recovery services free of charge. Now let me back up for just a moment and explain all that to you. When I say the word transformation, I get those marching orders from John 6, a very interesting chapter of the Bible, where on day one, Jesus feeds 5,000 people. That night, the disciples float across the lake. Jesus follows them by walking across the lake, and the next day, the crowd gets in boats and follows them. But on day two, Jesus chooses not to feed them. He begins to preach at them and they all leave. I think in that one chapter, it's the heart of God for the poor, where God says on day one, I love you so much, I accept you just as you are. But day two, God is saying, I love you too much to leave you there. And that's the hard work of transformation that we focus on every day at Charlotte Rescue Mission. I mentioned we uniquely work from the inside out to address the root cause, and that root cause is shame. Guilt is when I make a mistake, but shame says I am a mistake. And if you knew me, you wouldn't like me. And if God knew me, God wouldn't like me. And then I wrapped it up by saying we address this by providing professional, free, Christian residential recovery services. I like to use the verses out of Ephesians chapter 3, verse 18, where the Apostle Paul says that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, height, and depth. And verse 19 says, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to all the measure of the fullness of God. Mark, I believe firmly that when someone realizes that God's love is four-dimensional, not three-dimensional, not conditional, but unconditional, when they have that aha moment that God loves them, all the shame in their soul goes away because they know they are fully accepted by God, not for what they've done, but simply because God loves them. And that's what we do every day at Charlotte Rescue Mission. 
love to have you get involved. Please go to our webpage, charlotterescuemission.org, for ways that you can impact the people we serve. I'm Jen Houston. Thanks for listening today. Joining me in the studio is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thanks for being with us today. Hi, Jen. So good to be with you as well. In your morning e-devotions, you recently wrote about ways we can overcome failure. Can you talk with us about that? I can. And these Davidisms, as we're affectionately Mm -hmm. calling them every day now, uh, come from different people who have influenced my life, uh, my mom, my dad, mentors, coaches, friends. Well, this one today is from my college basketball coach, Dean Smith, generally considered one of the top coaches in all of sports history, Mm. a magnificent human being who taught me more about life even than playing basketball. And I try to honor him as much as I can because he was a wonderfully influential man on my life. Well, he's the one that gave this Davidism or this quote that we're looking at today. Here it is. We had to memorize these things, by the way, Jen, before we began practice as players, and he would call upon us to state it before the practice began. And if we could not state it, the whole team had to run. So here is one of the few that I really remember from those years of having played for him. He said, when you fail, admit it, quit it, and forget it. (laughs) And here's the truth. At one time or another, everyone fails at something in life. It's inevitable. It's a part of the human experience. So what should we do, not if we fail, but when we fail? Follow these three simple steps, Coach Smith said. Admit it, quit it, and forget it. First, admit it. It means to own it. Don't ever deny a mistake you've made. Instead, confess it, bring it into the light, admit you were wrong, and if necessary, apologize to anyone you may have hurt. Second, quit it. It means to stop it. Don't do it again. Learn from your failure. Commit to not repeat the same mistake twice. Learn a lesson and do better the next time because of your failure. And finally, forget it. It means to move on. Hmm. Put the mistake in your rearview mirror. It's now in the past, and your past has passed. (laughs) It's time to move forward, pressing on to fulfill God's purpose for your life. That's Philippians 3, 14. Jen, we all wake up each morning to a new day that the Lord has made, one with his new mercies, Lamentations 3.23. He gives us a new day with a clean slate for a reason. He knows we need to begin again anew. God wants us to leave yesterday's failures behind. So that's why God, I think, gave Coach Smith a wonderful insight into how to live this life. When you fail, admit it, quit it, and forget it. That's so good. That is so good. Isn't that great? It's so great. And it's a great reminder for us as Christians. Like, that's the beauty of our Christian faith is we're not supposed to be perfect. We're not perfect. There's no way we'll ever live a mistake-free life. It's Mm -hmm. impossible. Again, we live with broken bodies, with broken minds, in a corrupted world, with friends who are corrupted as well. And we're going to step on each other's toes. We're going to make mistakes. And the question is not if we'll make mistakes, but when we do make mistakes, what do we do? Mm -hmm. And I think Coach Smith has given all of us a very simple yet profound formula to follow 
when we make mistakes. And this admit it to me, Jen, may be the most important one. You've got to own the mistake. So many people live in denial. They make a mistake and say, oh, no. Hey, when you make a mistake, own it. Just admit it. God knows it. He's already seen it. So Mm -hmm. confess it to him. His grace is beyond all mercies and compassion. That's so good. Thank you so much, David. Yeah. And everyone, if you'd like to receive a daily Davidism from me, go to momentsofhopechurch.org. You can subscribe there. And in your inbox every morning, we'll be a moment of hope from my heart to yours, free of charge. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. Today's message is from our online worship service, and you can be a part of our service each Sunday morning at both 9 and 11 o'clock by going to momentsofhopechurch.org. And while you're online, be sure to sign up for David's daily Moments of Hope, delivered every morning to your inbox. And also, check out David's weekly Hopecast. They're both free and available through our website. Again, that web address is momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston. Have a great weekend.